All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am super fired up today. Uh, I was just telling her I've been looking forward to this podcast episode for a while now. I've got the one and only Dr. Melissa Davis with us today. Um, Dr. Dr. Davis, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here. This is going to be fun. Yeah, of course. Of course. So uh, just to get further introduce you real quick, um, you're the author of Evidence-Based Habit Building, uh, Finally Get Shit Done. Um, and like I told you, I've, ever since I read the book, I've been so excited to get you on because I feel like so many of the things um, in your book is kind of the approach that I like to take with my clients. One of the things that I like to say in regards to um, kind of getting closer to your fitness goals is a lot of people kind of know what they should be doing. They're just not actually doing it. They're not actually following through on what they what they know. And so kind of one of the things that I try to get across to my clients is like, it's not just a matter of discipline and not just a matter of willpower. It's a matter of like setting yourself up for success by have, setting up habits and, and stuff like that. So um, reading your book for me, for me was, a, was a ton of fun. And the way I kind of want to start today is... One of the things that you say in your book, and this is kind of a quote from page nine actually, is habits take a while to acquire because our brains make sure the reward or the consequence is consistent and ramp up automatically accordingly. Um, And the reason why I bring that up is because I think that probably the most important thing in order to be successful with your fitness goals is consistency. And one of the biggest reasons why people aren't consistent is because they're not patient and they feel like after a couple, two, three, four or five weeks or whatever, they're not seeing the results that they want. And a lot of times it's because they haven't taken the time to, to form the habit. So I just kind of want you to t- take a second to talk about why it is that mm-hmm. habits take a while to, to form and how important it is to kind of stay patient with the process and, and stick it out until the habits are kind of a little bit more formed. Right. So if you kind of just as a, a metaphor and analogy, if you kind of picture um, water on a piece of land and it's just yeah. sort of seeping around, right? It could go any different direction. That's kind of how our behavior and response to situations and contexts is. But then once you start digging a little trench in that land, the deeper you dig and the longer you spend filing away that little trench, the more water is going to go automatically in that direction. And that's kind of how habits are. You're sort of digging a trench as an analogy in your brain so that when you encounter a certain situation, you'll act in the same way consistently over time. It doesn't happen right away. Like you build the first trench, a little water goes in, but some still goes elsewhere. And that's kind of how behavior is too. You know, you start trying to form a habit and you're still going to mess up sometimes until you've got that brain trench uh, nice and deep so that your behavior just sort of automatically flows when it encounters that uh, situation. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Um, I like that analogy a lot. I think that makes so much sense and something pe- a lot of people are going to understand immediately. So well, I think one of the things that a lot of people think about or read about is like, how long does it take me to actually form a habit? And there's so many things out there that say like, it takes this long, it takes this long, it takes this long, it takes 10,000 hours, uh, it takes 30 days, it takes two months and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I, I think that most people, even the people who say that, would agree that it's not just so cut and cl- cut, cut and dry in regards to how long it actually takes. So, talk about a, a little bit of some of the factors in regards to, like, what determines how long a habit takes to form. Right. So, for instance, if you're trying to start a new habit, but you have current habits that get in the way of that, 
you not only have to create a new habit, you have to undo old habits. So you sort of doubled your workload in that case. If you're just trying to add something new, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to start flossing more regularly, you know, that's something people could probably integrate in a couple of weeks. If you've never exercised in your life and you want your new healthy habits, your healthy lifestyle, that might take you a year to really get all of the pieces together and consistent. Um, so I think people just need to take into consideration their position, like where are they coming from? How new is this behavior? How difficult is it for them? How stressful is it for them? Um, how big of a change is it? And uh, do they have knowledge and experience in this area that'll help them start that habit already? And all of those factors play into how long it's going to take. But it definitely, it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight, no matter what it is. Yeah, no doubt. And I like what you said in regards to like, kind of how new is it and, and how close to that habit have you been acting in the past. And so one of the things that, that I kind of, uh, the way that I verbalize it to a lot of my clients when we're talking about wh what it is we want to be doing on a weekly basis is try to choose something that you're, that you feel like you're willing and able to do based off of what you've been willing and able to do in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. And another, so another good tip when you're deciding what habits you want to form is to make those decisions and uh, make those goals when you're a little less comfortable if you're in the middle of a hard run and you're thinking about like how you're going to take your exercise up to the next level, you're going to make a more realistic decision than if you're sitting on the couch as you have been for months and you're like, I'm going to start this really, you know, huge exercise program. I'm going to make these big changes. It's really easy to overestimate what you are willing to suffer through when you're comfortable. When you're uncomfortable, you tend to have a little bit better perspective of what you're willing to deal with for, for mm. I, I like that a lot. Um, it makes makes so much sense. And anytime, because I do, so I do a 10-week fitness goal setting program with people. And anytime I kind of have it so they start off by set, setting the goal and setting off kind of like their habits on their own. And then before we actually start, I'll have a, hop on a call with them talk to talk about what they've come up with. And every single time, almost inevitably, I have to like scale people back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um and so I, I think that I think that's really revealing in regards to like try to almost come up with your goal when you're uncomfortable or in the middle of the workout or when you're like I don't I don't know I think I think that's how, how else can like people implement that and apply that because I feel like it's a little bit hard to tell people like go on a run and while you're on a run right. think about what your goal is. <laughs> yeah, sometimes what I'll have uh, clients do if they're coming, you know, for a diet and training and they have these big goals, I say, you know what, let's start, I'm not gonna like throw that off the table, but let's start with something more moderate just for a few weeks, like a little bit more moderate diet, a little bit more moderate training goals. And then after a few weeks, you feel like you're ready to take it up a notch. We definitely can. And almost always, you know, except for some sort of very experienced clients, they get to those two weeks and they're like, no, this is hard, but I can handle it. And I really don't want to mess that up because I'm, you know, riding the success and I'd rather keep riding the success than push myself so hard that I end up failing. Mm. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. So one of the things that I was pretty intrigued by from the book early on was how habits are a lot of times amplified or stronger during stressful moments. And I thought that was, you know, pretty revealing. I think you talked about maybe a study in there where healthy college students eat healthier during exams and then unhealthy uh, college students actually eat worse during exams. So their current habits are just essentially amplified, if you will, during stressful situations. And you kind of talk about in your book why that's why it's so important to like 
form habits because inevitably stressful times are going to come up. And so you're going to you're going to need to have the good habits to be able to to back you up. So talk a little bit and riff a little bit a couple minutes on that idea uh, and how we can try to form habits during unstressful times so that in stressful times we're set up for success. Yeah, so absolutely. I thought that study just the first time I read it, it blew my mind. I was like, wow, this is this is why habits are so powerful because generally stress derails us from our goals. You know, it makes it yeah. harder. But when you have solid goal-directed habits, stress can actually make you do better in terms of working towards your goals, which is absurd, but awesome. Um, and the idea is basically like when you're stressed, you're going to go into your default mode. And if you set up default habits that support your goals, you're going to continue to make progress towards your goals even while you're struggling with, uh, you know, being able to think about and make decisions and figure out what to do. And motivation goes down, willpower goes down, all of these other things that you can use to work towards your goals get reduced by stress, whereas habits get amplified. So mm-hmm. habits are really what we want to rely on. And that sort of gives us more of a bandwidth too. You know, when, when life gets tough, if we have habits that are taking us to our goals and, all this other stuff is going on, we have more bandwidth to deal with that other stuff than we would if we were trying to use, you know, grit and willpower and, uh, you know, just brute force to sort of push towards our goals. Yeah. Is there more, um, is there more studying or is there more explanation as to why that is, as to why habits are amplified in more stressful situations? Yeah. So basically you, your brain, what you know, this from sort of anecdotal experience, we all do like, there's only so much you can think about and handle at a time before you start sort of slipping. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that habits work are they don't really engage your conscious thought. So you, you know, encounter a stimulus or a situation or a context. And in the case of habits, there's an automatic sort of immediate connection between the experiencing of that context and the behavior and you don't have to think about it like if you one of the silly examples i give in the book is flushing the toilet right if your home toilet has a side flush and you go stay in a hotel that has a top flush toilet you're going to keep reaching for the side for like a week and you're not thinking about it you're not sitting down and thinking like i know that the toilet flush is on the side it's automatic it's unconscious so your habits are unconscious and therefore they free up more conscious space for you to think about other things. Like if you didn't have the motor habits for driving your car, you couldn't listen to the radio and drive your car. You'd crash because it'd be hard to think about the two things at once. So habits serve a really important purpose in terms of evolution and freeing up our conscious mind to do other stuff. And we can sort of take advantage of that fact, build the habits we want and leave our conscious uh, sort of bandwidth open for other stuff. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a ton of sense. And I actually didn't think about what I'm getting ready to say until we started talking about it. Um, one, I had a guy who um, is a, a Paralympian track athlete on here, on my podcast, kind of in the middle of quarantine, or I guess towards the, you know, the, set, the, the second half of it. And we talked about what allows, allow, has allowed some people to be more successful during quarantine and, and kind of like stay sane, if you will, versus the people who didn't. And we talked, he, he kind of mentioned how everybody he knows, the people who were successful through it is because they already had really good habits and really good routines set up beforehand so that the stressful situation, if you will, of the quarantine didn't throw them off their rocker as much as people who didn't have that. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, no, that, that was super intriguing. I think that was kind of the first time I, I made that connection between these two things. Um, one of the things I'm very uh, intrigued about is you talk about scale anxiety in, in, your, in your book. And I am always kind of amazed, kind of, it almost like makes me upset when I talk with people who are so afraid to step on the scale or when I talk to people for the first time and they're like, I haven't stepped on the scale in months because they're, they're, they're afraid to. And so with my clients personally, if, if like kind of weight loss is one of their goals and I'll have them step on it one time a week, because at the end of the day, you kind of do need to be stepping on it with some frequency because a lot of times this, like what I tell them is the scale is feedback for what you've been doing over the past, however, amount of period of time. So talk a little bit about scale anxiety and where the balance is. And obviously people, it's probably a little bit different from depending on person to person, but like, how can we, what is too much versus what is what we need to actually do? Yeah. So I usually have people weigh a couple times a week, just cause I like to get a nice average. You know, you might get one weight and they just had, you know, salty food the night before and it was salty food that was in their diet, but they're retaining water and then they get you know, sort of defeated that the scale went up and having them see the, the fluctuation that happens can a lot of times help a little bit with that anxiety. But what I find is really helpful too, is that we, we have the scale, we have this number, and that's part of our data set of what's going on, right? But it's not, it can't tell us everything about outcome, but what completely dictates outcome is our behaviors. So if we also track what we're actually doing, then no matter what the scale says, we can know that we're doing the absolute best we can to work towards our goal, right? So if you if the scale went up two pounds, but the last three weeks you've been like 99% on point with your diet and eating habits and exercise habits, things are happening. They're just not showing up on the scale yet. And you can sort of... Uh, take some kind of solace in the idea that like, I know changes are happening because I'm doing all of the behaviors that support this outcome. And then the scale sort of becomes less of a, this magical number that pops up and we don't know why things happen. And it becomes just sort of a, um, a vague bit of information that we can interpret along with what we know we've been doing behavior wise. Yeah, no, no, you said it perfectly. The scale is a lagging measure, right? Like by the time you step on the scale, you can't do anything to influence the number that's actually going to pop up. All the things that you've done in the past is going to influence it. So you want to make sure you actually track the things that are going to influence the number that pops up. So that's awesome. Um, one of the things in, in regards to kind of like back up in the goal setting process in regards to not necessarily the action, but setting the goal itself it, uh, that I that you talk about is how a lot of people kind of set goals based off of what other people kind of how other people set goals or what other people are going after or what they assume other people um, want their goals to be. So how can we make sure that we stay personally aligned with the goals that we set, if that makes sense, rather than adopting the goal of somebody else or what we think our goal quote should be? We're going to take a brief pause in the interview really quickly because if you're somebody who is looking to achieve a fitness goal or maybe you lack motivation to get into the gym, you lack some structure in your in your weekly routine, or maybe you've been wanting to get back into the fitness game and get back to maybe your weight loss goal or whatever goal it is, and you're not really quite sure how. If that sounds like you, my 10-week program is for you because I help everybody set a very specific goal. Then we create a very specific strategy of the two or the three things that we need to do every single week that we believe are going to make us successful 
with our overall goal. And that'll help you execute and I'll help you hold you accountable every single week. So you do the things that you kind of know you should be doing, but you're, you're not quite doing them right now. And that's what I've done with hundreds of people over the past 365 days, over the past a little over a year. And I want you to make sure that you are part of it as well. And enough for me, I want you to hear from the people who have done it in the past, what they've got out of it and, and why they did it in the first place. So here you go. I cannot say enough good things about Nick's 10 week program. I have always been somebody who has worked out but never really had a fitness goal. If anything I really wanted to achieve, it was more so just to stay in shape. And Nick does a great job of helping you not only define the goal, but also realize what steps you need to take to get there. Tomorrow, as of my weigh-in week nine, I hit my goal of losing 25 pounds in 10 weeks. Just the whole methodology of the program with it being one big goal, followed by some smaller goals to help me reach that big goal, and then the weekly commitments to help me reach those smaller goals. During these times, it's helped strengthen my mental health and strengthen my focus and really made sure to hold me accountable to my goals. I'm so happy that I was able to hit the goal and uh, so much so that I decided to do another 10 weeks with Nick. I would recommend it to anybody, no matter what your goals are, if it's weight loss, if it's running a shorter mile, if it's anything you would like to achieve, I think that this program gives you the tools to set yourself up for success. But one of the biggest benefits for me, and the biggest takeaway I had was one I wasn't necessarily set out to improve upon, and that was building more self-confidence and really instilling self-accountability. The program was great. Um, I'm doing it again a second time to continue my weight loss, and I just can't recommend it enough. So again, guys, if you lack motivation, if you lack structure, if you want to get back into your fitness game, but you're not really sure how, then I want you to make sure you go to nickcarrier.com slash 10-week programs. Again, nickcarrier.com slash 10-week programs to learn more. For now, let's get back to the interview. Right. Yeah. So I think there's a couple things, especially from the coaching perspective to think about. First of all, a lot of people come to you with what they think is a goal, but they don't really have the in-depth understanding of the trade-offs that will be involved. You know, maybe they're mm -hmm. seeing these people on Instagram who have like veiny abs and they're so lean and they're like, that is what I want. But when you explain to them, like what has to be given up to maintain that level of leanness year round, a lot of people are like, you know what? I don't want that that bad. I like my life and the, my social interactions and these things that I do where I can eat and enjoy myself. Um, so giving people a good perspective and sitting down with yourself if you're making your own goals and thinking about like what sacrifices are actually needed to get to this and where on that spectrum do I fall? You know, how much do I want to prioritize this outcome versus my experiences? What will I give up? And then the other thing I think that's really important is, first of all, you don't usually achieve goals that aren't tied to a sort of intrinsic value because you lose your initial motivation. You don't have really anything to cling to if you don't have a uh, personal intrinsic drive for that thing. So what I like to help people do if they don't really have that to start with, you know, they want to get in more shape, but their stated goal is because, you know, I, I want to look good naked or whatever, which is perfectly fine. But if you find a way for them to frame that so that it's tied to a value, like I want to look good because I value, you know, hard work, I value my health and I think fitness is important and I want my body to reflect that to the world. I want my body to reflect those values then that's a more personally tied thing. It's something they can write down and look at when the diet gets hard. Um, and just spending some time just, just thinking about 
where they're at and where they can go to next. So a lot of times people, again, like the Insta Instagram can be great for, you know, social support and all kinds of inspiration and things like that. But a lot of times people will just be sort of looking too far ahead of their current position in terms of their physique goals or their performance goals. And it can be really defeating to be realize like, I'm going to get to that level for two years. That's a really, you know, long ways away. And it's hard to get excited about something that's, that's that far away. So sort of setting up some more moderate goals for like progress, even if you're keeping that pie in the sky end goal in the back of your mind, setting up some shorter term goals for moving towards that ideal. Yeah. I, I like so many of those things in there. Um, setting up those shorter girl, shorter goals um, and, and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that I actually can give you a lot of credit for in regards to something that I've adopted in my coaching is the the trade-offs thing and, and really being honest with yourself like what am I actually willing to sacrifice in order to achieve this goal because because that's one of the things that I do with now after having read your book um, with my clients when we come back like literally just recently probably six seven weeks ago I started with a client and she was like I want to lose 20 pounds over 10 weeks um, and then we were talking about that and I was like asking her what she's got going on over the next 10 weeks. And she had like her brother's wedding in week five of, of our program. And I was like, it's your brother's wedding. Like, be honest with yourself. Do you, do you like, what's that going to look like? What's that going to look like for you? And so, you know, we, <clears throat> we were like, you're probably not going to lose the average of maybe two pounds a week during that week, but maybe you can stay the same or, or close to the same. So let's, let's scale back the goal because of that. And that's exactly what she did. And like, that was literally, her brother's wedding, I think, was like a week and a half ago, and she stayed the exact same weight that week, and we talked about the conversation we had beforehand. So, like, that was an awesome implementation um, because of what you wrote in your book. It was awesome. That's amazing. And you probably, like, not only did you help her set more realistic expectations and not be disappointed about the outcome of the diet, you probably made her experience at her brother's wedding 100 times better. Because otherwise, she would have probably eaten and drank anyway because it's her brother's wedding, but she would have felt guilty about it. Right. And it would have just been a whole, whole stressful guilt written process. Whereas thinking about like, am I willing to make the sacrifice and just building that into the plan makes it so much better on every level. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's kind of goes to the idea of you don't have to be perfect in order to be successful towards your goal. Like you don't have to be perfect every single week. It's just about like setting the more realistic expectation of the goal itself. <clears throat> um, I think I think the next place I want to go is um, stress-induced unwanted behavior because that's one of the th one of the common things that I see in so many people that uh, I have clients um, when they talk to me about I'm a stress eater or a stress drinker or whatever it is. Um, and one of the things that I've kind of started to do that you talk about too is not necessarily like the stress is still going to happen. How can we just make it a more productive behavior towards the goal? So talk a little bit about how if somebody comes to you and says, I'm a stress eater, how do I fix that? Uh, I'm a stress drinker. How do I fix that? W what can I do? Right. Yeah. So there's enough strategies for that. My usual first thing is, can we reduce the stress? Can we work mm -hmm. on that first? Because that sort of has multiple benefits in addition to taking away the unwanted behavior. Right. Um, obviously we all have lives and jobs and things that, that bring us stress sometimes, and it's just going to happen. So one strategy is to find an alternative. So you think about like, what is, what is this behavior doing for the person? Like they don't want to do this behavior, but it has some benefit. And what is that? In this case, it's stress relief. 
So, okay, can we find a replacement behavior that also relieves stress? Because it's going to be a lot easier to replace that stress eating with something else that relieves their stress than it is to just not stress eat. That's going to be more of one of those willpower brute force things that isn't necessarily very reliable. Um, Another thing you can do is the, the habitual responses, like we talked about, tend to be so automatic. Right. So if you can start to just be aware of when you're getting stressed and create a pause between those feelings and your reaction, sometimes if you just say like, all right, I'm stressed, I'm on a diet, I want to eat a piece of cake, but I'm going to take a 10 minute walk and think about that first. I'm going to read my, you know, my why that I wrote down my intrinsic motivation for this diet. And I'm going to take a 10 minute walk. And if when I get back, I still want cake, I'll have it. And nine times out of 10, they're going to be able to resist the cake because they've gotten away from that automatic response Mm. and they've had the time to process and consciously think about it and make an alternate decision. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And it, or just like tape your why on your pantry or something like that and like make it make, stop yourself. (laughs) Make sure you have to stop. Yeah. And think about it. And then some other things that um, this works for some people, for other people, it becomes sort of dysfunctional. So you just kind of have to try strategies with your clients and with yourself, um, making things harder to get to. Like if you have things in the house that you're trying to eat, you don't necessarily have to lock them away, but you can put them in the pantry in the garage so that you have to walk all the way out there. And that gives you time to put that pause between the, the situation and the response and think about it, which gives you the chance to make an alternative decision. So, Yeah, that's definitely one thing I've started to have people do as well. I'm like, Keep the wine in the garage fridge, uh, rather than. Then you have to spend that whole walk up to the garage thinking about how you shouldn't be drinking this wine because you promised yourself you wouldn't for the next ten weeks or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No doubt, no doubt. Um, that's awesome. Um, I think the next. Okay, yeah, I want to get into the the importance of actually tracking and self monitoring some of the things you do because. Our brain likes to remember when we do things well, but it likes to forget when we don't do things as well. And sometimes we have the uh, the false perception. You have a you have a quote that's like the most serious obstacle to self control is faulty perception of one's own behavior. And and there's no doubt if you if you don't if you haven't identified what it is that you're doing wrong, then how do you start to fix it? So talk about the importance of of self monitoring and how people can go about kind of tracking some of their own behaviors themselves. Yeah, so I like to say, like, not if you're trying to make behavior changes to support your goal, not keeping track of that, not keeping it for some sort of reference is akin to starting a diet and weighing yourself only on the first day and the 90th day or whatever it is. Like, you don't know what's happening in between. All you're measuring is the final outcome. Um, And you don't have any option to sort of auto regulate as you go if you don't know what's happening. So, it sounds really silly, but bust out Excel and start tracking, you know, how many days a week did I eat vegetables with my meal, if that's the goal, or how many days this week did I stress eat? It was it less than last week. Sometimes it's hard to tell, you know, if you're someone who stress eats like 18 times a week, maybe this next week you only stress ate 16 times, but you, it doesn't feel any different. So you don't know that you've progressed you don't know that you've gotten better and you might feel like a failure and stop trying. So keeping track can be really helpful for motivation. It can be really eye-opening if you're kind of looking through those rose-colored goggles and assuming that you're doing awesome when things aren't changing very much at all. Yeah, no, I like that at the end. Like, it's really important in both ways. Um, Motivation and it's like, oh, wait, I am more off track maybe 
than I thought. And and one of the things that you talk about in your book, which is one of the kind of principles I have embedded in my program, is how like your self-efficacy is based off of like kind of can be based off of the amount of success that you've had. And if you don't know you're being successful, then how are you going to build up your own self-confidence and belief? Yeah. Yeah. So it's really important, really important to get that, that feedback loop. Um, one of the, one of the things I really liked that you touched on in your book is about how a lot of us rationalize straying away from goal directed behavior more often than is actually necessary. Like to me, that's almost like the reason for this t-shirt is is what's very common nowadays it, the, the reason for this t-shirt what's really common nowadays is like just like showing up sometimes is is what's most important and um not not giving it like maybe 100% effort like but just showing up with which i agree with like consistency is consistency is super important but anyways i think a lot of people convince themselves that i've had a really good last couple of days, my body's feeling a little bit tired, I can take the day off. When sometimes like, sometimes that's actually necessary, but there's kind of like the balance in our brain and I think like nowadays it's getting more and more popularized towards the take care of yourself, like self-care, take the day off, that sort of thing. So where is kind of the balance to make sure like we're not rationalizing, um, avoiding our goal-directed behavior? Right. Yeah. And it's really, it's a fine line to draw and it's hard because, you know, self-care always says, always sounds good to give yourself a break. It always sounds nice to be nice to yourself, but you should be nice to yourself. But I think what can be helpful is to set up a criteria for yourself from the get-go so that you check a certain number of boxes. Like, am I, you know, feeling on a scale of one to 10 stress, I'm feeling a 10 on a scale of one to 10, like fatigued, I'm feeling a 10. And maybe you set up just a, just for yourself, what is your point at which you give yourself a little break from working towards your goal and acknowledge that you're pausing progress for that self-care, you know, so that you're not just, ah, I'm tired today, I'm going to take a break from the diet. And you end up on this roller coaster of, of never quite getting to success and never quite getting rest. And you're sort of always in between. But yeah, yeah, I think I think having a criteria for yourself from the start that you adhere to is a good idea because it allows you to, to do that auto regulation like, OK, I've hit that point and I do need some sort of release or some sort of break. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And one of the things I've got kind of, is kind of silly, but over the last three and a half, four years, one of the things that I've kind of done a lot of times, not every single week, but a lot of weeks is I'll eat really healthy during the week, but I always get like a frozen pizza from the grocery store. And on, if I, if I have like five good days in a row, six good days in a row and, and like, you know, don't ever have anything bad, then, then I'll have that pizza at the end as like my reward because like, I know I've done the criteria necessary in order to quote, earn it, earn that if you will. And I think that's really important because then it really allows you to be able to actually enjoy that thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you feel like you can handle, you know, restraint when needed, then allowing yourself to have those things is so much more satisfying because it doesn't feel guilty. It doesn't feel wrong. It's just like, I get this now. This is fine. Yeah. That's that's actually my favorite way to do maintenance too, is like I stick to like what's almost a diet during the week and then the weekends I have fun and it evens out. Yeah. Well, and, and kind of the biggest reason why I am such a big proponent of that is I try to, um, verbalize to people in my program that 
success, I obviously want you to lose your weight. I want you to get to the goal that you want to get to. But success in this program is following through with the promises that you make to yourself. And so if you plan to eat it, then all you're doing is following through. And, and that's what that's the habit that we want to build. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, before uh, before kind of getting into the last question, is there. Um, actually, I'm going to start off maybe a, a, two different ways. First, what are your personal three most important health habits that you have to do bar none on a weekly basis? Yeah, so I would say my three are get my lifting in. It's, lifting is kind of hard for me. I, I'm a jujitsu athlete. I like, you know, I like sports that are more engaging. <laughs> so lifting is something that I've, a habit I've developed for my health. I don't love it. I do it because I want to be strong and healthy and fit. Um, so that's really important. Getting sleep, so getting to bed on time, getting a good night's sleep every night, I feel like has made one of the biggest differences just in my mood and my capacity to achieve things in all aspects of my life. And the third thing, um, I've gotten much more interested in sort of attending to health, like long-term health. Um, so just getting in fruits and vegetables at every and not, you know, I have a tendency to go full frat boy if left to my own devices and eat just like string cheese and crackers, you know? So I've forced myself to keep fruits and veggies and at least two meals every day so that I have, have that health benefit. Nice, nice. And maybe to use almost that last one as an example, what are some habits that you have formed to make doing those three things easier or to set yourself up for success for doing those three things? Yeah, so I found that I don't do well if I have to do a lot of prep for the meal. So I like to keep like spinach and, you know, chopped sort of salad fixings just ready to pour into a bowl. Um, fruits and vegetables, again, like it sounds really stupid, but cutting up an apple is sometimes just more than I'm willing to do. So like I buy either smaller apples so I can eat the whole thing or I get berries because I can just pour berries in a bowl and eat those. So just it's a good idea to make the things that you want to do easier on yourself. Like life is hard enough and achieving goals is hard enough. The easier you can make the steps that lead up to that, the better. So I just try to limit um, the things that will stop me from doing that, limit the extra work that'll bother me and things like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, hundred percent, I, I absolutely love that last one because it's, it's kind of silly, right? But it's like really important because a lot of people will think, I'm not eating my fruits and vegetables just because I'm not disciplined and don't have the willpower to do it. When it's like, all you could actually do is maybe buy smaller apples or buy different fruit or buy spinach instead of something that you have to cut, chop up and you'll be more successful with doing that because those small things are just super, super key. Yeah. Sit down and identify like what stops you. See if you can get rid of that with another strategy. Yeah. I love it. No, I'm glad that you said that. One of the things that I, one of the questions that I have my clients ask themselves each week is if I were not to do this thing that I'm supposed to do, what would my excuse be? And how do I make sure that I don't make that excuse? That's really, that's really smart. I like that. Yeah. Um, uh, well, before I ask the last question, I just want to acknowledge you. Like I said, I've gotten so much personal value, um, from your book and, and from your work that I've, that I've already, um, implemented into my coaching style and, and my coaching philosophy and that I've been able to get across to my clients. And obviously, 
Um, it's, it's been doing some good stuff. One of my clients was able to enjoy her brother's wedding because of you. So I, I, I <laughs> that makes me super happy. happy. That was yeah, definitely yeah. the goal. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'd appreciate your work and I'm um, looking forward to continuing to, uh, absorb more of it. Thank you so much. Of course. Of course. Well, I want to make sure that everybody, I know everybody's going to want to go learn more uh, and, and everything like that. So you guys make sure you go to rpstrength.com and you can find uh, Mel on Instagram at regressive underscore underload. And I'll have that all linked up in the show notes. And like I said, her, her book online is evidence-based habit building, finally get shit done. Um, would definitely recommend that you read it because it will open to your eyes as to how you can start to set yourself up for success at a much higher level. Is there any other place that people should go to learn more about you and, and support you and stuff like that? Um, those are the two main ones. The, the habit book should also be on Amazon with an audible version pretty soon, read by my husband. Um, so that'll be cool. But yeah, that's basically it. RP Strength and Instagram are my main portals. Awesome. Awesome. Well, good deal. Well, uh, last question here, Mel, is that I think that getting closer to the best version of yourself is both a constant journey and a unique journey. Um, I don't think that we're ever necessarily at that best version of ourselves, and I also think that um, the way that I'm going to get closer to my to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So, last question is for you personally: If there are three things that you can currently do, or three things that you can currently work on to get closer to that best version of yourself, to get closer to that best Dr. Melissa Davis that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? Yeah. So currently, I'm working on becoming a better outdoors woman. So I'm just trying to learn more about hunting, uh, um, horsemanship. I have a mule who I'm trying to learn to pack. So wow. th that's, those are two, I guess, things. Um, and then I guess the third one would be continuing to learn how to best manage my time because I have a really diverse sort of interests and I constantly feel like I can't be working full time towards all of them. So learning to manage that or narrow things down that I want to do would probably make me a better person. Yeah, that's hard for all of us to do, especially if you're um, somewhat ambitious or somewhat driven. You always are constantly thinking of things that you want to do or get better at. And so it's hard, it's hard to stay focused on one at a time. Well, that's all we got. Uh, that's all we got today. Dr. Uh, Dr. Davis, I really appreciate your time. That was awesome. Thank you so much for having me.